It is Thursday, September 12th, and welcome back to the Derek Diamond Experience podcast, where every week I take a behind-the-scenes look at the world of film and television by chatting with those who have lived it and experienced it. And this week, my guest is actor, writer, and producer Sam Ingrafia. And this was a really interesting conversation because, first of all, Sam had a very unique introduction to the world of acting, and from that blossomed you know, a career that spans multiple decades, and he's been in the entertainment industry since the 70s. So we also talk about the evolution of the industry from back then to now, but we also talk about his transition from acting in front of the camera to working behind the camera as both a screenwriter and a producer. And as someone who you know recently wrote their first film, it was really interesting hearing his aspect on writing, and hopefully you guys take something out of it just like I did. We also talk about uh, his playing the role of Thomas Friedman on the HBO show Barry, which I've become a, a pretty big fan of. The huge success that TV has had you know, with cable television and Netflix shows really over the last 10 to 15 years, and of course advice that he gives out to aspiring actors and to filmmakers. It was a really cool chat. It was fun getting to know Sam a little bit, and I thank him you know, immensely for the time he took to appear on this podcast, and hopefully you guys get as much out of it as I did. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Sam and Grafia. Joined this week by my very special guest. He is an actor, writer, and producer, Mr. Sam Ingrafia. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm very good. Very good. Thanks for having me. No, absolutely. Thank you for, for taking the time to, uh, to chat with me about your career and everything. There's no, there was an earthquake yesterday, so today's been kind of a nice, relaxed day with no earthquakes or anything, so that's a good thing. No, that's definitely a good thing. <laughs> but um, I wanted to get started by asking you know, a little bit about your background. Um, where are you from? Where did you grow up? Uh, I was born in Chicago, um, but I, I can't really say that I'm a Chicago guy because I, I, I came here when I was pretty young and I went to, to L.A. and I, I went to high school and went to college and, and graduate school here in L.A. So I spent most of my adult life here. So I, it's interesting because through my career, I've pretty much been cast as kind of urban, intense guys, cops, bad guys, that kind of stuff. And in reality, I grew up in California. What was it that brought you to California? My parents. <laughs> uh, uh, my, my grandparents lived in L.A., and when I was a teenager, my, my parents moved to L.A. to be closer to my grandparents. And so that was basically the motivation to come out here. And when I came out here, I had no thoughts of being a performer at all. Um, we came out here for family reasons, and, and we all just kind of fell in love with uh, the weather. It's very cold in Chicago. So that was how I got out here. And it wasn't until much uh, later that I decided to actually try being an actor and a writer. What was it specifically that drew you to want to do that? Well, well, it's it's interesting. Um, I had kind of an unusual introduction in the show business. Um, I graduated from UCLA with a degree in political science, and then I went to business graduate school to get a master's degree in, in finance. And when I was almost finished with my master's degree in finance, I had a friend who was just trying to be a theater director. And he called me up and said, um, 
I, I'm doing this play and I have this small part and I haven't been able to get an actor to commit to it because it's a small part and there's no money. I just need a favor. Could you just cover the part for like a week or so until I can get an actor to commit to it because I don't want to delay the opening. And I was on vacation from school and I had a little bit of a break and I said, yeah, sure. That, that might be fun. And, and again, I had, my, my parents were always big movie fans, so they took us to the movies a lot. And like everybody from my generation, I grew up watching television. So I was always kind of fascinated by show business, but I had nobody in my family, nobody in my circle of friends who was even remotely involved in show business. So it was never even really a consideration for, for a livelihood. So uh, this just seemed like kind of a lark and it was kind of fun. So I showed up rehearsal and um, after probably four or five days, I went, wow, this is, this is pretty cool. I, I kind of like this. The play opened. I was in the play and the director said, you know, you're doing a nice job. Would you like to continue, you know, with the role? How are you going to work that with school? And I was like, um, I'm not sure. Uh, let me think about this. And two weeks later, I quit graduate school and started taking acting classes and I never looked back. And that was kind of my introduction in the show business. It's kind of crazy to think that just one little incident like that can just spark, you know, what ends up yeah. being a career. Well, it's so interesting when I, I talk to younger actors or, or writers, you know, I often get asked, how did you start? And what I, my answer is, um, you know, there's usually a little voice in your head that tells you, what you should be doing with your life. But most of the time we don't listen to that voice because we get programmed to do other things or we get forced into following other courses. And, um, you know, I had done the responsible thing for a long time and this was the irresponsible thing to do, but it was probably the most excited I've ever been uh, walking out on stage that first time. And, you know, my wife still laughs at me because after all these years, I never have to set an alarm clock to get up to go to a set, to go to a job. Uh, I'm still excited to show up and put on makeup and wear a costume and try to remember my lines and be a character. So I feel like I made the right choice. There, there have been moments when it has not gone so well where you kind of go, you know, I could be an accountant now and I wouldn't have to deal with this. But for the most part, uh, I, I'm happy with the decision that I made. Well, I think that's the important thing, too, when it comes to something yeah. like acting or really anything to do with working in film and television is you have to have that excitement and you have to have that passion for yeah. it because there's so many long days that you have on set that if you don't have the passion for it, you're going to get burned out of it very, very quickly. Absolutely. And it's also, uh, you know, one of the things I tell young actors is, you know, you shouldn't get into the business thinking that you're going to be an international film star and make millions of dollars. Because maybe that happens, but that's probably not the reality. So you should get into the business because you're excited to do it. You enjoy the process. It's fun. You, you get to pursue things. Um, you get to travel. You get to meet interesting people that's what you should be doing it for, not because you think you're going to be a big star and make millions of dollars, because unfortunately that's probably not the reality. No, for sure. No, it's people, you know, when you watch, you know, interviews on TV and things like that or on YouTube, you see the the glitz and glamour side of things, but you don't see the right. 
the hardworking side of it. You know, I, I always think of this graphic that I see online every now and then. You see the top of an iceberg, and it points to, you know, like fame. It, it compares it to fame, fortune, success. And then underwater, you see this huge portion of the iceberg that says hard work, sacrifice, lack of sleep, long hours. So everyone <laughs> sees the, you know, the fun side of it, but they don't think of the actual hardworking side of it and the hours that go into you know, even just making a simple project happen. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it, it can be exhausting. It can be stressful. It can be time consuming. Um, it can put stress on relationships, but again, it's, it's constantly you're weighing the good and the bad. And you basically, that's kind of my rule of thumb. If you're still excited and the good stuff outweighs the stuff that's not so much fun, then you're doing the right thing. No, for sure. So your career, it spanned decades, you know, going all the way back to the, you know, the 70s. Yes, up I've been doing this for uh, 400 years. I think. <laughs> dinosaurs, dinosaurs walking around. I'd be careful when I would go to the set that I didn't get eaten by a dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I started, I was very fortunate. Uh, I, I started uh, when I actually made the commitment to be an actor. Uh, I was fortunate. I got an agent very quickly and I actually started to get work fairly quickly. Um, most of the time I was kind of floundering and really didn't know what I was doing, but I was fortunate to kind of get on sets and start working pretty early on. No, that's awesome. Uh, the thing I'm curious about, you know, you being in the industry, you know, from back in the seventies up until now, what have mm -hmm. been some of the major differences that you've seen? Because I know, especially over the last, I'd say, at least far as I've noticed, the last 10 plus years, there's been a huge surge in, you know, short films, uh, putting films on Vimeo and YouTube and various things uh -huh. like that. Uh, what have been some of the, the dramatic differences that you've seen from back then when you started up until now? Well, probably the biggest change uh, for me is when I started, everything was shot on film. Um, television was on film. Features were on film. It's probably been 15 years since I've worked on anything that was shot on film. Everything is on uh, digital video now. Uh, so that's that's been a huge change. And that has changed kind of the dynamics on the set. Uh, when I first started, when you did television, the director was probably 10 feet away, just off camera, sitting in a chair watching you. And as soon as they called cut, they would give you instantaneous feedback or even sometimes out of the corner of your eye, they would gesture to you to say move or stand up or sometimes even just talk to you off camera because they could cut it out. Now they're sometimes, for the most part, in a totally different room in what they call video village where they're looking at a monitor with headphones on and you don't even see them. So it's a little intimidating because it's now it's some kind of distant voice or or there's a the first AD or second AD has on a headphones and is re getting messages relayed to him by the, the director who then tells you, good, we're going to go again. Uh, and you're like, OK, we're going to go again. Do you want to see something different? Do you want to try something? Was, was there a technical glitch? Why are we going again or what are we trying to do at this day? So for me, that's been the biggest change is when I started as an actor they had what were called dailies where because it was on film they had to develop the film and the next day or two days later the director and the producers and sometimes the actor 
would look at what they had shot the previous day and they would go, okay, that looks good. Or maybe we got to go back and reshoot it. Now every camera has a playback monitor on it and they play it back instantly what they've shot. And I just shot a commercial last week and, and they were pretty much had a rough cut of the segment that I shot by the end of the day. That's how, and that's how quick the, uh, the technology has become. 4K, 8K, um, they can now shoot pretty much in ambient light um, because the chips in the camera are so sophisticated now. Um, that's a huge change. Also, uh, again, just from a purely practical standpoint, when I started as an actor, everything shot in Los Angeles. Feature films, television, soap opera. There was, I think, three or four soap operas that shot in New York. And there were usually every season there would be one or two shows that shot in New York. But other than that, everything shot in L.A. And probably over the last year now, I've worked in New Mexico, Utah, Ohio, Virginia, Texas, Louisiana. Um, so that's a big change now. You're like a traveling salesman. Um, uh, everything is done. You know, you put your audition on video and they send it off to some distant land or or um, they send your demo reel to the producers who are in Louisiana or Texas and you get a phone call two days later saying you're, you have to be on an airplane next Friday, you're going to Atlanta. So that's that's been a big change also. Um, and also, like you were saying, just uh, the explosion of the internet now. Um, you know, people are making very nice livings by doing internet series, which didn't exist before. People are getting 5 million, 6 million, 8 million views per episode on the internet. So they're kind of bypassing what used to be the traditional routes for distribution, namely network television or cable television or feature films. They're just putting their stuff up on the internet. Yeah, and I think there's some there's some pros and cons to that too. You know, because I I've watched a lot of really good things. Like the good thing about it is that it gives everybody a platform to try and do it. And some right. are you know some are great, some not so much. But I think when it comes to film and TV, it's so subjective that you know what what might be great to me might not be great to you. But I think that's the cool thing about having that platform is that it gives everyone kind of a voice. And even, you know, not even just with film, but with doing, you know, this podcast, you know, this platform wouldn't have been available, you know, 20 oh, years exactly. ago. So exactly. I, I, well, I, I'm also, a huge fan of it. What, what's really interesting is, like, I've written for television. And, you know, if you have a pilot idea for a new series, you have to go to multiple meetings and find some company that will put up the money to make the pilot. And once the pilot is shot, then you have to go around with that to try and find somebody who will buy the pilot and put it up on some kind of platform, you know, whether it's a cable series or a, a network series or a syndicated series. And that development process can take years um, from the time you develop the idea to the time hopefully it gets made can be a period of years. And the beautiful thing about the internet is it, it, you write it, you shoot it and you push a button and upload it. And it's, it's there. Um, whether people like it or don't like it is a whole nother animal, but it, it is instantly available to a worldwide audience. No, for sure. 
And mentioning television, that was another thing that I was very curious about. Someone who's worked in both film and TV, because I've I've interviewed a lot of filmmakers, but not too many people who have worked in television. Are there any mm-hmm. major differences between the two? Uh, well, the, the major difference is when you're doing a, a feature, even an independent feature, usually uh, there'll be a period of rehearsal where you'll get together and do a kind of a, a read-through where you'll meet all the other actors. You'll find out who's playing your wife, who's playing your son, who's, you know, who's playing your brother. Um, you'll meet with the director and you'll talk about the character because there's, there's usually a, a, a bigger window with film. You know, there's the, the pre-production period sometimes can be months. The actual shooting schedule, even on a fairly low-budget independent film, will probably be a month. And then the post-production period is probably four to five to six months sometimes. So, And you only, on a feature film, probably shoot four to five pages a day. So they do more coverage. They do uh, more uh, blocking rehearsals and walkthroughs of it. On the average television show, they shoot. When I started as an actor, it was eight days to shoot an hour television show. Now they shoot an hour television show in six days. So you're shooting eight to nine pages a day. There's virtually, I can't remember the last television show I worked on that they had a rehearsal. Um, you know, you a rehearsal day. You basically show up and they say, uh, you know, this is Mike. Mike's playing your son, and uh, this is Rebecca. She's your wife, and <laughs> this is Sean. Uh, you know, he, he, you work with him and you've known him for years and uh, you're really close friends. Okay, let's let's walk through it one time and then we'll shoot. Uh, you know, it, it's about that quick. And they don't do as much coverage as they they very rarely, in a lot of television shows, they don't shoot a master any longer, which was kind of a wide shot where they did the whole scene and then they would break it down in the coverage. It's A lot of shows don't even shoot a master any longer. They just go right to coverage because, again, shooting a master can take a couple hours and usually you only use 20 seconds of it. So the process is very condensed in television. The casting process is much more condensed. In a film, they may take a month to cast it. Television, they take three days, four days to cast the, not the regulars on the show, but the people like me who are coming in to do a guest star thing on on the episode so for me that's the biggest difference television goes much faster uh film there's a little bit more time to develop your character develop relationships uh you kind of have to bring it with you when you do television yeah that's what i've heard from the most part from those who i've talked to who have worked in both to say that television Mm -hmm. does move it's similar but it just moves at a much quicker pace yeah and you know uh, my hat is off to, you know, actors who are like regulars on a soap opera. I've done three or four soap operas, um, daytime, you know, shows. And, you know, they they start at six in the morning and they have a walkthrough, then they have a camera blocking, and then they have a, a full rehearsal. Then you have lunch and they make cuts. <laughs> they change lines, they cut lines. Then they, they tape the show. And they're done by probably three or four in the afternoon. So you're doing a you know a, a probably forty three minute show in one day, and those guys make it look easy and they make it look good, and it's not easy. So uh, there's a real art to uh, working as a television actor and being really good at it, especially those who do it for you know twenty plus years, which is yeah, absolutely insane. I, I 
Yeah, I mean, I, I when I was working on the Days of Our Lives, it was kind of like uh, when you go for a lunch break, it was kind of like you worked in a factory. They were like talking about when they got their vacation time because they they have to work out the storyline with the writers and the producers because, you know, we want to go away for a week in June, so they have to write the storyline so that character disappears for like a week or two <laughs> in the storyline. And it was it was very funny. I mean, it'd be funny if you had a camera to kind of, videotape you know backstage at a soap opera where people are like like it's like you're opening your lunch pail eating your lunch and talking about the problems in the factory <laughs> i'm surprised that hasn't been done yet to be honest yeah it, it's pretty it's pretty interesting <laughs> so you transition from acting to also writing and producing and i feel like mm-hmm. a lot of actors will do that at some point you know the most notable one or one of the most notable, I think, is Ron Howard, who was on Happy Days and then has become yeah. you know, one of the most known directors on the planet. Um, how was right. that transition and what made you want to get into writing and producing in addition to acting? Well, um, a, a part of it is just my personality. I'm, I'm not very good with downtime. And uh, as an actor, you have a fair amount of downtime because uh, acting is an interpretive art, not a creative art. You're, you have somebody has to write something for you to say, and somebody has to create a project for you to act in. Um, and so sometimes the phone doesn't ring for a while, and you're sitting around going, "Okay, what do I'm bored? What can I do that's you know uh, will make me not be crazy? What can I do that's an artistic outlet?" And so um, I was working with another actor. We were this was thirty years ago, maybe twenty five years ago. Uh, a friend of mine and I were going to audition for a theater company in Los Angeles, and we needed a scene to audition with. So we found a scene. We we are both method trained, so we started kind of improvising to try and kind of form the characters and get in touch with the characters. And after about a week, we both said, you know, I think we've kind of come up with some good material on our own. Maybe we should try to write our own scene. And there was really no nothing at stake because all it was is if they didn't like us at the little theater company, we wouldn't get to be members of it. So it wasn't like we were, you know, auditioning for Steven Spielberg. So we did the audition. It was our own material. We got into the theater company and people kept asking us, who wrote that material for you? And and we both said, well, we wrote it ourselves. And people are like, yeah, right. You wrote it. And we kind of took a step back and said, you know, maybe we could do this and we neither one of us had any idea i mean it was so funny we actually went to samuel french which is a theater bookstore to buy a book on how to format uh, a television show because we didn't even really know what the proper formatting was and this was before we had a computer so we were using a typewriter and we took the characters that we created for that audition scene and we started doing the comedy clubs we ended up getting a development deal at universal they hired writers to write for us. The pilot that they wrote was not particularly funny. Um, so the executives at Universal said, well, why don't you guys give them some notes and and some tips on the character? So we gave them all kinds of notes. And they used so many of our notes that the executives at Universal said, you know, you guys should probably get a shared writing credit on the pilot. And we're like, really? And they're like, yeah, you should probably get a shared writing credit. And that was how I got into the Writers Guild, because I had a a professional job. And then Gary Stein, who was the writer with me, my partner, we both said, you know, maybe we should try doing this. And for about a 10-year period, we wrote, we made a very nice living writing television and films. 
to the point where I wasn't acting very much in the late 90s because I was very busy writing. So I kind of got into it, kind of like my introduction into being an actor. I kind of backed into being a writer. And now I absolutely love the process of writing. Um, I find it just a whole process of research and making characters come to life and honing the dialogue. And then it's still, to me, magical when I hear an actor say words that came out of my head. <laughs> it's, it's still like I'm still waiting for somebody to say, wait, wait, you know, you didn't really write that. Somebody else did that and you're just taking credit for it. So that's kind of how I got into writing and I've been doing it for a long time now. The greatest thing about writing is that it's almost like a puzzle in a way, because I, I, mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know if you have any struggles with writing, but I know when I was writing the script for my short film, um, I had an idea of where I wanted the characters to go. Like I knew how I wanted it to start and how I wanted it to end. And it was filling in Mm -hmm. the middle that was kind of the challenge. But it's it's a great challenge, though, in a way, because it's it's different than anything else when it comes to filmmaking, because, you know, I've ran sound. I've done other you know crew positions before, but really getting to sit down and think, okay, this is what I want to do. It's like putting a puzzle together. And well, there's, there's a great feeling that, when that, it's done. That's, I think, a great description of it, because it is really a puzzle. Almost everybody knows the beginning, and they know how they want it to end. It's the second act that's the really hard part, because that's where the complications are, and, and that's where you have to kind of really find the, the arc of your character. So that's the hard part, and it takes a lot of time and work, and there are certain techniques that you, you can't learn to be a great writer, but you can certainly learn to be a competent professional writer. Um, you know, outlining helps, and and uh, there are certain tricks that you can use asking questions of the character at the very beginning to find out what he wants or she wants, and what her what is her goal and what's blocking that goal you can you can figure out a way to kind of help yourself get through that road down that road but it's never easy and also just the insecurities of human beings even if you are successful at it one time the next time you do it you go maybe that was a fluke i don't know if i can <laughs> i don't know if i can do it if i can do it again and and then it gets pretty stressful when people are paying you a substantial amount of money because you did okay the first time now they're like we're going to pay you more money because we liked what you did so you got to do it again and it's like oh boy all right here we go uh so yeah it is a puzzle and uh, i just i absolutely love the process and i think it's almost like magic at times because I'm very good at outlining stuff and really coming up with a three-act structure, but then it's almost like in the second act, some of the characters would go, you know what, I'm not going there. <laughs> I, I, you, can, you can have all the outlines you want, but I'm not going there. I'm going someplace else, and I'm going to show you where I'm going. And that, for me, I think is really the, the exciting part of, of writing, um, where you kind of go, okay, I had a kind of a conventional idea, but the character doesn't want to do that conventional thing. He or she wants to do something really outrageous. And then the part of my brain goes, well, I don't know if I like that. And suddenly you're having almost like a dialogue with your characters, which is really, really cool. (laughs) Now that's a great way of looking at it. And it's, it reminds me of a quote that I was told, you know, very early on when I was, when I was working on my project is that great scripts aren't written, they're rewritten. Oh yeah. No, I, 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 for a time I was, I was working at a theater company 
there was a lot of young uh, actors who were interested in trying to get into writing. So I said, okay, you know, I'll teach like a beginning writing class for actors like once a month. So it won't take up too much of my time, but it'll be kind of fun and interesting. And I also find by teaching other people or talking about it, it also makes me kind of do follow the rules also because sometimes you get lazy. But if you're talking to other people, like I'm talking to you about this and I'm thinking, oh, you know, maybe I should go back and look at the outline on that project I'm working on right now. Um, but, you know, and that's what I kind of say to everybody. Don't worry about spending a year writing a first draft. You know, you, it's all about rewriting. But if you don't have anything written from the beginning, middle and end, you have nothing to rewrite. You can't rewrite the first 15 pages because you don't know where the story is going to go. You have to have the whole story written and then you can rewrite it and, and shape it and trim it and do all the things that make it really good. But, you know, you can't give it to anybody else to read if you only have 15 pages because they're going to go, okay, that's, that's a great start, but where does it go? Um, you can't really even give kind of constructive comments on it until it's finished. So it's all about rewriting. Absolutely. Now to transition to the producing side of things, what's it been like you know, being on set in a producer role as compared to an actor role? Well, I work with a partner when I produce. Uh, Doug Birch is my part, my producing partner. We have a production company, and he he is is an actor and what has been an actor for years. So we got hired to write and produce a, a film that you know we had a producing credit, but we weren't technically producing it. We just basically wrote the script, and they flew us out to the location, and it, it was just a complete mess. Uh, the director was yelling at actors. People weren't being treated with courtesy. There were all kinds of technical screw-ups. And when we were on the airplane flying back, I said to Doug, you know, we're not the smartest guys in the world, but we could do a better job than that, um, I'm sure. And we started a production company, and neither one of us ever went to film school. So we decided that we would kind of learn about producing and filmmaking because um, I had produced television, but it's very different producing television than it is producing feature films. And so we decided that we were going to make uh, a half dozen. We said, we'll make a half dozen short films and we'll develop kind of a little nucleus of, of people that we want to work with as a crew. And we'll develop a little repertory company of actors that we want to work with. And then we'll bump it up to the next level and we'll start making full-length films. And that's what we have done. And our rule is all the people that treated us badly on set as actors, we both have vowed that we will never do that to actors or crew people on our sets. So we're the first ones to show up and we're the last ones to, to leave. But we keep it pretty light and we try to joke with people. Um, what we do is serious, but we never take ourselves very seriously. Um, and I think that makes for a fun set. And we, we usually do like a couple of takes or three takes of kind of what we have in mind. And then we'll say to the actor, okay, we're, we're, we're cool. We got what we want. Now you try something, you know, feel free to go any place you want with it. Um, it's up to you. There's no right or wrong. Just feel free to go where you want to go with it. And sometimes it's unusable but sometimes it's brilliant, but more importantly, the actor now feels like they're a collaborator and that's not only fun, but that's 
really what raises projects up to the next level when everybody's trying to make it as good as they possibly can, as opposed to somebody who showed up for a paycheck and somebody's grumbling because their part, their part's not big enough or whatever, you, you know, you have to all feel like you're trying to make the project as good as you possibly can. And that's kind of what we've learned from being on a lot of sets where people didn't treat us that way. And that's the great thing about filmmaking. And it, one of my favorite parts about it, and it's ironic because I don't consider myself to be the most sociable person in the world. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the collaborative effort from everyone on a film set, I think, is my favorite part of the whole process. Because oh, yeah. I, I always yeah. use the analogy Big that family. we're all little cogs in one giant machine and we all have to move together to make the machine yeah. work. And like you said, it's, you spend... 10 plus hours a day on a set. So why would you want to be miserable that entire time? Like I I wouldn't want to be on a set where everyone's yelling at each other and there's drama and and all that stuff. You know, you like hit the nail on the head. You got to keep it light. There's no reason for it. Um, Again, I'm, I'm practical enough that if I found that screaming at people actually accomplished something and made the film better, maybe I would consider it. But in my years of experience, it, it never has made the project better. It, it only makes people sad or angry or, or intimidated. And none of those adjectives create, you know, good things in any art form, whether it's music or movies or painting it doesn't when someone is nervous or intimidated or or afraid that they're going to get fired that's not a a good place to be to try and create art you're more prone uh, to make mistakes that way well also all your natural instincts lock down because you don't want to look stupid and you don't want them to yell at you anymore and the voice in your head goes i wish i was someplace else but here and you know how are you going to do interesting things with that kind of mindset you're in the you know you the, the voice in your head should be saying yeah let's let's have fun let's play let's try this i'm going for it this time that's what makes it magical as opposed to saying oh my god if i if i try this again he's going to scream at me in front of everybody or she's going to humiliate me and I, I i don't know what to do i'm angry i'm frustrated i'm scared you know those are terrible emotional responses <laughs> to try and create art it's it's one thing if you're creating a character that's supposed to be angry or insecure. That's a whole different ballgame when you're tapping into organic, you know, bringing up organic feelings that you're going to use for the character. It's another thing for Sam, the actor, to be going, I'm really scared to be here. I don't like this. Um, that's Those are two very, very different things. And sometimes people get those mixed up. Directors think if I get him really angry, he'll really do amazing things. And that very rarely works. It kind of goes back to what we were saying at the beginning. We all do it because it's something that we love. And you don't yeah. want to have something you love ruined by someone who has a bad attitude or, or just being in a bad environment. Absolutely. And again, I, I've been doing this for a long time. And, you know, I'm, I'm enough of a pragmatist that if they're going to pay me a real lot of money and the person's really obnoxious to me, you know what, I'll cash the check and it'll be okay. But if I'm doing an indie film or I'm doing a cable television show and the money they're paying me is not going to like change my life, it's like, you know what, I, I, I'm too old. And there's not enough hours in the day for me to waste them having this person yell at me. So I, I just first, I won't do it anymore. And secondly, you just go, why, why are you doing that? 
I mean, that's why are you why are you asking me to be unhappy? Um, I'm good enough actor that I can play a character who's unhappy without Sam being unhappy. You know. No, absolutely. Um, one specific role that I did want to ask you about, because this was a show that I just recently started watching, uh, you played the mm-hmm. character of Thomas Friedman on the HBO series Barry. Uh, what, I did. What drew you to the role, and what did you enjoy about it? Uh, well, it's always interesting. Thomas Friedman is a real person. Um, he's a pundit and a okay. writer who regularly shows up on... Um, CNN and shows like this. Um, and so that was kind of interesting. It's only the second time in my career. Um, I did a film called The Falcon and the Snowman, and I played Sean Penn's lawyer, and that was based on a real story. Um, uh, so this is only the second time in my career that I played a real person. And so that was kind of interesting. Getting the, I watched him on the internet to try and pick up some mannerisms and, and uh, uh, speech patterns and things like that. Not to do an impression, but just kind of get a feel for them. But what kind of really sold me on it, when I went in to meet with the casting director, um, she said, um, I, I want you to read this scene, but I don't want you to stop at the end of the scene. I want you to improvise because Bill Hader and Alec Berg, who's the other co-creator of the show, really like people who can improvise. And I come from kind of a comic uh, background. So that was kind of right up my street. It was like, yeah, cool. I like this. So, you know, I, I improvised for four or five minutes. We did uh, three or four, you know, runs at the scene. I, I booked the job and then I show up on the set the first day and Alec Berg uh, is standing about five feet off camera. And I'm going to be working with Anthony Kerrigan, who plays NoHo Hank on the show, who's really funny and a really, really good actor. So we do take number one, and it, it goes nicely, and it's fine. And then Alec walks over to Anthony and whispers something to him. And then we do take number two, and suddenly Anthony is saying different lines. <laughs> so it was, was like, oh, okay, that's, that's pretty interesting. We're, we're, we're changing the lines here. So then I had to really listen and pay attention and kind of improvise and change my reaction since he wasn't saying the same lines that he said the previous day. And we did that probably about ten times. And it was great. It was really fun and really, really interesting. And, uh, you know, it kind of keeps you on your toes. And the, the show is really interesting because they do stuff like that. It's kind of this really interesting combination of uh, a really dark, almost slapsticky comedy at times. But then they deal with really kind of very serious topics about murder and uh, infidelity and... Uh, spousal abuse, they're dealing with really serious, you know, storylines, but they're kind of packed into this little comedic, dark comedic uh, envelope. And, you know, I, I loved the show before I got a chance to be on it. So, you know, again, as a professional, you, you, you know, if they hire you, you show up and you do the best job that you can, but it's always really a nice perk when you're on a show that you really, really like, you know, cause that's really kind of the icing on the cake to kind of like, you know, tell your wife, Oh boy, you love, you know, uh, the show. I- I'm going to be on it. How cool is that? You know? So that was really nice. And, and it, you know, it starts the top and it works its way down very classy from, from, you know, great wardrobe, great food, great set. Everybody's really polite, treats you really nice. Anthony was so nice. When you work on a show, 
when you're the guest star who shows up, there's always an interesting dynamic because they're the regulars on the show and you're not a regular on the show. So should I introduce myself? Should I wait for them to come up and say hello? Should I introduce myself when we start to work on the scene? He came up to me and he said, you know, it's just so nice to meet you. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a real pleasure working with you. We're going to have a real lot of fun. So that was really, I mean, again, a really classy thing to do. And it made me feel very comfortable, which was nice because, again, when you feel comfortable, then I had the freedom to really kind of run with the ball when they were, when we were improvising. I think you hit the nail on the head about the the comedic timing and everything mixed with the dark and serious issues because yeah. when, when i started watching the show my first thought was it's so weird seeing bill Hader play a serious character because uh-huh. I, i'm so used to seeing him and you know with his comedic stuff but you know so right. so far i've i've very much uh enjoyed the show and it's it's interesting because i feel like over the last several years television has really kind of had a resurgence in addition to you know shows that are on networks shows on HBO like Barry, like, you know, Game of Thrones that recently ended that almost become Uh like events in a way. And even the, you know, the Netflix shows, I feel like TV shows have kind of had a little bit of a resurgence. Oh, well, I mean, again, uh, people are saying this is kind of the golden age of television. And I think I I, I hate to say it because I've made a nice living doing uh, network television. I think the resurgence has been created by cable television um and it's now trickling down to network television because they're forced to come up with stories and and that are more interesting and actors that are more interesting because they now have to compete when i started as an actor there were three networks you know there was cbs nbc and abc and that was it and then there were local channels then fox came along and then it all changed when Netflix started, when, the, you know, and HBO with The Sopranos and, and that kind of changed the whole ballgame. And now it's just exploded. It's to the point now where, like I said, I'm like a traveling salesman. You're all over the country working because all these cable shows shoot in Canada or they shoot in New Mexico or they shoot in Ohio or they shoot in Chicago. Um, so there's an explosion of product, which is really, really good. And the quality of the product is really, really good now. Um, It just makes life a little more complicated because riding in airplanes and sleeping in motels is not nearly as much fun as as it used to be. Uh, It's it's tough now uh, being on the road and traveling and all that stuff. But yeah, I, I think it's a golden age of television. There's, I mean, it, it's almost intimidating now because there's so much stuff to watch. You'll be sitting around at dinner with a friend and they'll go, have you watched this show? And you're like, mm, no, I haven't had a chance to watch that. And you'll say to them, have you watched this show? And they're like, no, no, I haven't seen, but I'm going to try, you know, there's between all the cable networks and the syndicated networks and, and just stuff that's everywhere. Now it's really tough to, find the time to watch it. DVRs are a beautiful thing. That's, that's what I have to say. You actually hit the nail on the head. My next comment was going to be that there's so much great content that there's almost too much to keep up with. Cause I even have those same conversations on a regular basis. Oh, did you watch this show? Uh, no, I haven't got a chance to yet, but Hey, have you watched this? Yeah. And they give you the same response. So it's, there's so much yeah. great stuff that it's tough to keep up with because when you mix in, you know, normal work days, and then yeah, you know, hanging no. out with friends and spending time with family, it's tough to 
fit everything in, but it's good that Absolutely. there's such great content out there that you yeah. just have such no, a wide very, variety. I, very, very, very exciting. Um, you know, the, it makes my job a little bit harder because I kind of have to watch a lot of this stuff, even if it's something that may not appeal to me. I have to kind of watch it because, you know, then your agent calls you and goes, you have a meeting about this show. And you're like, I have no idea what that show is. I should probably try and watch it. Or you have an audition in the casting groups person says, you know, you're going to be, uh, the scene is with so-and-so. And they're obviously telling you that because that affects the tone of the audition. And if you have no idea who that person is, then it kind of really kind of go, oh, you go, okay, I'm going to just kind of guess from what the words are, what they're trying to go for here. So it does, I, I end up doing almost like research where I will sometimes binge watch a bunch of shows on Netflix. I'll watch, you know, the first couple episodes just so I can get a feel for the tone of the show and who the central characters are. What is the time period that it's set in? Because that affects the mood and, and the, you know, the style of the show, depending if it's a, a show that's set in the thirties, then that's probably going to be different than a show that's sci-fi that's set in the future. So you kind of need to know some of that stuff to try and figure out and also kind of guess what the director and the producer is looking for based on the tone of the show. No, that's, that's very smart. That's very, very smart. Uh, do you have any upcoming projects that you want to plug? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I have a whole bunch of stuff, actually. I, it's been a great, you know, the last year or so has been really nice. I have, uh, like I said, I shot a, I've been doing commercials, which I never really pursued that. I just kind of fell into that. Um, because advertising has changed, I think, as a result of cable television, that's kind of changed the world of advertising. Uh, I shot a national commercial last week, which was nice. I have two features coming out in September. But the one thing I would really like to talk about is uh, I mentioned that I, uh, 30 years ago, I got a pilot deal. Uh, for That's how I got into writing. Well, Gary Stein, who's the actor-writer that helped me create those two characters, Sal and Junior, um, for 30 years, people have been saying, you know, whatever happened to those two characters that you did all the pilots for, whatever happened, what did you ever do with them? And the answer is we did nothing. with them. So now, um, we, we talked and he lives in New Jersey now and he flew out and we had a bunch of sessions where we wrote together for the first time in 30 years. And we went round and round whether we were going to kind of do the typical route where we were going to go to studios and try and pitch the idea or independent production companies or do it as a film. And I suggested to him, I said, you know, why don't we put it on the Internet and kind of use that as a platform to reintroduce people to the characters? So that's what we've done. We hired a crew. Um, we have a great editor. We got a great sound person. Um, and it's called The Amazing Return of Sal and Junior. And it's on YouTube. Um, we shot eight episodes. And what's really cool is because we were at Universal, we have old publicity stills and we have pilot presentations and we have a short film that Universal made. And we, we've used all that archival footage and worked it into the new show. So it's pretty funny. So we cut back between Sal and Junior now in the present and Sal and Junior 30 years ago. And the, you know, the, the joke is they haven't really changed emotionally, but they have changed a lot physically. We had 30 years ago, we had mullets, 
<laughs> we had uh, we had kind of longish hair, and we dressed in ridiculous clothes with a lot of bad jewelry. So it's a it's a funny it's a funny idea. Um, it's called the Amazing Return of Salon Junior, and it's on YouTube. No, I actually watched the first couple of episodes earlier today, and it's really funny. Oh, I really good, enjoyed thanks. it. Yeah, yeah, it was great fun making it. It was great fun. You know, it's it's kind of like uh, an, uh, you know uh, getting a divorce and then meeting you know your former uh, spouse again after thirty years and. You go, you know, I, I now realize again why we hit it off at the very beginning. And it's kind of nice. You, you've had enough time apart where there's none of the, the rivalry or the, the pressure and all that stuff. And now it's just like, OK, we're, we're older, but we can still have fun working together. And it was really nice writing it, producing it with him and also performing it with him. So it's, it was really, really a lot of fun. No, that's awesome. Now, it, it definitely looked like one of those projects that you could tell that you guys were having a lot of fun doing it. And I think, yeah. that, and I think when you can tell the actors are having fun and they're really into it, it draws the audience in more. So I, I've, I've enjoyed well, it from what I've watched of it. Good. Thank you very much. Uh, two more questions. What advice sure. would you give to aspiring filmmakers? Well, uh, well kind of what we already uh, talked about. I would basically say, you know, work hard, be organized, be disciplined, do your homework, do your research, take what you do very, very seriously, but never, ever, ever underline that five times. Never take yourself seriously because, you know, life is short and you got to laugh and you got to laugh at yourself most of the time. Um, so that would be my advice is work hard, do your homework, um, but don't take yourself seriously. And for actors, my advice, the best advice I ever got was I started studying with Lee Strasberg and there was an older actor. I was only like, I think, 23 or 24. And he was he was an older actor. He was probably in his 40s, but he seemed so old to me at the time. And he said to me, actors have to act because he was always working on something. He was doing a scene in acting class. He was doing a play. He was doing a a training film. He was doing a commercial. He was always working on something. And he said, actors have to act. And the way you learn to be a good actor is by practicing. When I was at UCLA, one of the, one of the lessons that's like, you know, etched in my brain is Jack Nicholson came to talk to us. And there was some obnoxious guy at the Q and a who had a microphone. And he said, you know, when you were doing all those terrible Roger Corman movies, you weren't very good in them. And now people are saying you're the best film actor in the world. How did that happen? And Nicholson was just so cool. And he just kind of smiled and said, you know, I practiced. <laughs> and that's kind of what it's all about. <laughs> it's, you know, you just practice. You keep, I, I'm a great, I'm great at auditioning because I've probably done 5,000 auditions. I, I wasn't good at auditioning when I first started, but I'm really good at it now because I've just done a real lot of them. You get better at working in front of a camera by working in front of a camera. When you're a writer, you get much better at writing by, you know, um, Neil Simon said, somebody's asked him, what do you do with your first screenplay? And after you're done with it, and he said, throw it away, <laughs> which I think is a great line because it's probably not very good. So start on the second one and you, that one will be better than the first one. And you know, it's the same thing. If you're a writer, if you're a producer, if you're an actor work, the art of repetition. 
you know, you get better. If you're a carpenter, you don't get better at being a carpenter by sitting in your house watching television. You get better at, you know, practicing with power tools and working on design and drawing plans. You, you know, you have to you have to do it. That's there's no other way to learn other than by doing. Now you hit the nail and, on the head. Well, you meet a lot of really nice people and a lot of interesting people in your travels, and it makes life much more interesting. Last question. Do you have a website or social media you'd like to plug so the listeners can follow you? I, I got a ton of those things. I, I'm an old dog who's trying to learn how to do all this stuff. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, my my website is just my name. It's it's www.samandgrafia.com. Same thing with Facebook. It's at Sam and Grafia. And then there's a Facebook page for uh, The Amazing Return of Salon Jr. Uh, if they just look up The Amazing Return of Salon Jr. on Facebook, they'll find it. Uh, again, here's something you probably haven't heard before. Instagram, it's at Sam and Grafia. Uh, and then Instagram, <laughs> Instagram is Salon Jr. official. And again, Twitter, at Sam and Grafia. And then it's at Salon Jr. I, I again, I went to a. It's very funny. I've taken one social media class, and they all said you should try to keep it simple when you pick a handle, and you should have it be that people could find you easily. So literally, if there's only one. I think there might be one in Grafia in SAG. <laughs> there's only one in Grafia, I believe, on IMDb. So when I pick these handles, there's nobody else really really vying for Sam and Grafia so it's kind of wide open every time <laughs> that's what I go for well and you're they're consistent over all platforms too which is really good because it, it can get yeah it gets frustrating at times when people have a different Facebook name than they do for their Twitter uh, and then a different one from their Instagram it just makes it you know extremely difficult to to track people down that you want to follow well I was working on a, I was working on a film and there was a young actor there and and uh you know, I, I'm still kind of old school. I still hand out business cards. And he said, oh, you know, you don't have to give me a business card. You can just find me on Facebook. And I was like, oh, okay. What, you know, I'm thinking his Facebook page would be his name. But, he, you know, he had some ridiculous thing that was like Little Blue Cowboy or something. I'm like, oh, geez. How, how the <laughs> hell are people going to find you? You know, I'm not going to spend time kind of going... Let's see, Little Blue Cowboy was the guy I met on that film, but his real name was, you know, just keep it simple for people, you yeah. know? That's the Hemingrafia. That's People can remember that. <laughs> uh, little Blue Cowboy, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, sir, thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview. It was fantastic. Oh, this was great, man. It was really, really nice talking with you. Good luck with the show. I, I listened to them. They're, they're really interesting. Keep, keep doing it. My thanks again to Sam and Grafia for taking the time to appear on the podcast. Be sure to follow him on all forms of social media to find out what he'll be up to next. And speaking of what's coming up next, this weekend, specifically on September 14th at 7 p.m. at Sam's Fun City, there will be a triple header screening of three locally made films here in the Pensacola area, leading off with Nick Smith's film The Verso Verdict, my film The Parker Syndrome, and closing things out with Steve Wise's film, Servi. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, the Verso Verdict, this is actually going to be the premiere for it. Uh, the second screening for the Parker Syndrome. And Servi has just had an unbelievable run uh, as far as film festivals go. I believe it's up to 36 now 
which is absolutely insane. And I do want to give a shout out to Brittany Least and Jesse Hartsog, who played the two lead roles of Emma and Zach Parker in The Parker Syndrome. They recently won Best Actor and Actress from the White Unicorn International Film Festival. So congratulations to you two. Uh, if you guys are listening, you absolutely deserve it. Uh, you guys did a fantastic job, as well as the entire cast and crew. Uh, I continue to be blown away by the success of the Parker Syndrome, uh, not just from you know the uh, accolades and the laurels, but just from everyone being happy about it and happy about its success. And all the kind words from everyone uh, means it means so much. I, I can't thank you guys enough. So be sure to come out at Sam's Fun City. The address is six seven zero nine. Pensacola Boulevard. Uh, it should be a really fun time. Come out and support your local filmmakers. But as far as next week on the podcast goes, it's going to be a little bit of a different episode because I'm not speaking with um, anyone who's in film, but it is a former television talk show host. His name is John Kerwin, and we discuss the art of interviewing. And I learned so much from this episode. It's one of my all-time favorites, and I can't wait for you guys to hear it. it. It gave me a completely new perspective on how I do this podcast, and hopefully it's noticeable. Uh, I'm not sure if it is, but I certainly hope so. I, I know it's helped me uh, become more confident and in many other aspects that I will get into on next week's show. But until then, you can check out past episodes of this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher Radio. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience. If you want to follow me on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Podcast. And of course, thank you to my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers, for providing the theme music for the podcast. Their songs Late Night drive Through" and Light and Jazzy can be found on their latest album, Greetings from the Space Van, which is available on Google Play, Apple Music, and Spotify. And I think that's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks again to Sam and Grafia, and thank you for tuning in. If you're in the Pensacola area, like I said, come out to Sam's Fun City. Should be a really fun night with a couple of locally made films. Enjoy the rest of your week. Have a safe and fun weekend. Thank you for tuning in to another awesome episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. I'm your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys back here next Thursday.